This morning we come to the third of the four servant songs that we find in the book of Isaiah. Songs about the coming servant who is the Messiah. They describe who he is and what he'll do. And in each of the songs that we've seen so far, there is a spiritual need that cries out for remedy from the Lord. In the first song, it was for justice. The Lord would come and make things right. And and the servant, that's exactly what he does. He comes and makes things the way they're supposed to be. Last week, we saw that the great spiritual need that cried out for help was for redirection and restoration, for salvation. And that's what the servant of the Lord provides. What's the need that cries out for remedy this week? It's, It's very specific in this week's song. And the need is the weary need a word to sustain them. That's the need. People are weary. We think only the old are weary. Often the young are weary. A classmate of one of my daughters was tragically killed a couple of years ago. And at his funeral, the pastor there related how this young man was in his office just shortly before his death. And he said, Pastor, I'm so weary. So being weary is not just for the old, it's for the young. Different things make us weary. Sometimes we work so hard, we're weary. Sometimes we struggle so hard with different things in our lives, we're weary. So all of us need a word. All the weary need a word to sustain them, and that's what we have this morning. A word to sustain the weary from the servant of the Lord. So if you have your Bibles open to Isaiah chapter 50, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. Beginning in verse 4. This is the word of the Lord. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. Wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears, and I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting, because the Sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore, have I set my, set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It's the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who is he that will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Let's pray together. Lord, we do ask now that you would bless the reading and hearing of your word. Lord, by the power of your spirit, teach us. Open our ears to hear, as a servant heard, your truth. And we pray that we would be refreshed and renewed, that the weary would find strength and rest in your truth, the truth of who you are this morning. We pray these things now as we submit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. If the great spiritual need of Israel, the people of God... And indeed, all people is a word for the weary. How is a servant going to accomplish that? How is he going to give us strength to sustain us this morning? Well, the servant can do it because the servant himself is a disciple. Look again at verse 4. The servant's speaking, and he says there, The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. The word 
instructed in the Hebrew, it's very interesting. It means taught. It means discipled. And so the implication of the servant having an instructed tongue to know is that in his humanity, in his humanity, this servant of the Lord, he himself had to be discipled. He had to be a disciple of the sovereign Lord. And in a way that we can't understand, because we can't understand what it means to be 100% divine and 100% human at the same time. And yet Jesus was. But in some way, Jesus as the servant needed to be taught by God, his Father. He had to be a pupil. Jesus said so. In John chapter 8, he says, I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. And so look at the beautiful picture that Isaiah uses to to illustrate this. The servant, the Lord Jesus, in his humanity, sleeps. And each morning, his father comes, and his father wakes him up with a word of truth. One of the most precious parts of being a parent is watching your child sleep. It truly is. You walk in their room, you see them sleeping. And you go into their room in the morning, The sun is shining on their faces, and you go over to them and say, Good morning. Wake up. You know, it's truly an intimate moment. Now, four of my five children are here this morning, and they're saying, That's not how we remember it. (laughs) How we remember it is Dad coming in the room. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. (laughs) That's not always the way it was, and I did that, but only when I wanted to be obnoxious. But waking a child can be a tender moment. And when your children are young enough that you, as their parent, are still the center of their world, they have such joy when they hear your voice and such joy when they open your eyes and see your face. And that's the intimacy of the relationship between the father and the son. It's present in this passage. Look, the term servant, uh, the, the term sovereign Lord appears four times in just six verses. And this is the only song that sovereign Lord appears in. Look in verse four. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue. Verse five. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. Verse seven. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Verse nine. It's the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who is he that will condemn me? And so we've got to conclude that the repetition here is intentional. It's meant to communicate something. What? Perhaps it's this connection, this intimate connection that exists between the Father and the servant, the Father and the Son. Jesus said in John 10 and other places and on other occasions, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. That's what Jesus said. Now, do you think... That the Sovereign Lord wants that intimacy, this oneness, only with the servant, only with the Son? Is this intimacy between the two of them and no more? No. Jesus prayed the last night of his life when he was with his disciples in the upper room. He said, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. That's Jesus praying for us that we would have the same connection as he has with his Father. 
The Apostle John experienced it. He wrote, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he is in them. And this is how we know he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. We know also that the Son of God has come and and given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, But he who has joined the Lord becomes one spirit with Him. This intimacy, this oneness, with the Father is something for you, you to experience. Something for me to experience. The question that we all have to ask ourselves is how badly do we want it? How bad do we want to experience this intimacy? And, and what are we doing to develop it so that our intimacy with the Lord is deeper and deeper? For Jesus, it was a daily meeting, morning by morning. You waken me, O Sovereign Lord, to listen to your voice. And that was Jesus' practice while he was on earth. Mark tells us very very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus was eager for this meeting with his Father. And he didn't just roll over and and light the lamp beside his bed and, and read a bit. He didn't just stay in bed to pray, though there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's wonderful if you do it. But Jesus was determined that he was going to meet with his father, so he got up, left the house, went off to pray. He wanted to be with his father, to learn from him, so that he could speak the truth the father spoke to him after him. I don't know of a better uh, recommendation or a better testimony for having a quiet time Then this passage, if this is the pattern that existed between the sovereign Lord and his servant, then how much more should it be the pattern for your life and my life? If the sovereign Lord, or if the servant had to learn from the Lord, then how much more do you and I need to learn from him? Proverbs 3 says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. We need it. We need to be disciples just as Jesus was. Proverbs 8, choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. Silver and gold. No. The word of the Lord, more important. Second Timothy three sixteen, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And then Jesus says this in John sixteen All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Unbelievable. The Spirit will take what is mine, Jesus says, and make it known to you. Don't you want to know what belongs to the Father and the Son? Because if you do, He promises to make it known to you, morning by morning, as He awakens you and finds your ear listening for His voice of truth. As we move on this morning, I want to see that the Sovereign Lord gave the servant a message. He taught him something very specific. Look again in verse 4. 
It says he's given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. In context, this is the nation of Israel. They are weary. Despite all of the promises of God to redeem them, despite God's faithfulness to them, they believe themselves to have been forsaken by God. All you have to do is look back in chapter 49 of Isaiah. It says there in verse 14, But Zion, Israel said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. It doesn't matter why they feel this way. It doesn't matter that their own sin has driven them from the Lord and not the Lord from them. It doesn't matter that their own sin and their own rebellion is what caused Jerusalem to be destroyed and them to be sent away into captivity in Babylon. It didn't matter. And they, like us, like you and like me, they can't see themselves as they truly are. And they believe it's the fault of the Lord. And so as a result, they're feeling weary. That's really what they're experiencing. And so God has a word to sustain them. And I believe that you are as glad as I am. I hope that you are as glad as I am that we have a Lord like this. It doesn't matter how you and I got into the mess we're in. It doesn't matter why we are weary. Even when we are as blatantly to blame as Israel, even when our weariness, even when our discouragement is of our own making, and it almost always is, the Lord gives his people, you and me, what we need. And that is a word to sustain us. Immediately I think of John 3, verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's why the servant came. Not to condemn, but to save. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. For your souls. One morning, as a servant awakened and listened to his father's voice, the father said something to him, whispered something in his ear that we don't know the details of, but some part of his plan that he told the son must have been difficult for the son to hear. Whatever it is that the Lord whispered in his ear on that morning must have been something that that may have been difficult to obey. But look what the servant says in verse 4, into verse 4 and verse 5. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears and I've not been rebellious. I've not drawn back. Whatever it is that the Lord whispered in the ear of the servant, we don't know what it is, but here was a servant's response. I've not been rebellious to whatever it was. I haven't drawn back. And so not only did the servant not recoil from what the father told him, instead he willingly and actively obeyed. Look at verse 6. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Of course, we know that Jesus, being 100% divine, from all eternity past, he agreed with the Father and the Spirit that this would be the plan, that he would carry it out. But there came a point in time where he 
in the flesh, which was part of the plan that Jesus, yes, I'll go, I'll be the one, I will take on flesh, that he would have to suffer. And that's what he hears from his father. And that word that he hears becomes the word that sustains you and me. Because it wasn't just a word that was spoken. It was a word that led to an action that was carried out. Look in verse 7. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. See, the servant, he's determined to do what the sovereign Lord has whispered in his ear that he must do. He's determined to obey. Why is he going to obey? Because he says, the sovereign Lord helps me. He obeys because the sovereign Lord helps him. And so here's what he did. He trusted God. He was obedient to God. And he left the outcome in God's hands. All right? He trusted God. He was obedient to God. And he left the outcome in God's hands. That's what a disciple does. Is that what you do? Jesus explained to his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things there. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Because it was Satan speaking through Peter, he said, no, get behind me. Get back where you belong. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. See, no one could dissuade Jesus from his purpose. And that's why we can rejoice, weary ones. The servant had complete confidence in God, in his faithfulness, complete confidence in the plan of which his suffering and his humiliation was a vital part He was confident in God's power to work it all out. And he never doubted that in the end, if he obeyed, he would be proven right. And so Luke tells us that when the day drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Just like the servant said, I've set my face like flint. The best of men draw back. Jonah, the prophet, ran away from the Lord. The Lord said, go here. He went in the opposite direction. Moses said, oh Lord, please send someone else. The great prophet Jeremiah was so weary of speaking the word and all the ridicule and all the abuse he got from telling God's truth to God's people that he said, cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. And so Jesus had to do what no one else had done or could do or would do. And so look what he asks in verse 8. Who then will bring charges against me? And then look in verse 9. Who is he that will condemn me? The answer to both of those questions is no one. And Jesus is the only one who has ever lived or ever will live that can ask those two questions and get the same answer. Because in the life of every other human being, charges can be brought. In your life, In my life, charges can be brought. A friend that you have hurt or disappointed, they can bring charges against you. A spouse can definitely bring charges against you. Children absolutely can bring charges against their parents and parents against their children. And if there's no other person to bring charges against you, your own conscience will. 
Because you know the things that you've done and said and thought that nobody else knows but your conscience knows. And so your own conscience will accuse you. All of us can be charged. Everyone. But not the servant. You cannot find a charge. Who can condemn him? No one. And so how can you justly condemn someone against whom there is no charge? You can't. And listen, that's why the cross is so amazing. That's why Jesus' cross is so unique among every other Roman cross, of which there were many. Only one against whom there could be no charge made could offer the sacrifice that was required by God. That's the point. And since there was absolutely no justifiable reason that he could be found to be crucified, you can't crucify a 100% pure and sinless man. There's no reason to. And so he had to willingly go to the cross. And that's why Jesus says, no one, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. He did not turn his back. He set his face like flint and he went to the cross. That is his love for us. And that's the word that became the act that sustains and gives rest to our weary souls. Because apart from the servant's work on the cross, we would forever be fatigued, worn out from all our work, worn out from all the struggles in our lives to no avail. Because no matter how hard we work, it wouldn't have been enough. That's the point of Jesus' sacrifice. It is enough. And so we rest in him. And the servant was proven right not to turn his back. The servant was proven right to obey God, to listen to the word that the Lord whispered to him, to become obedient to death, even death on a cross, because when he did it, God exalted him. And God gave him the name that is above every name, that at his name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. See, he knew. He knew he could trust. He knew the Lord would help. He would not leave him in disgrace, but show him victorious. You will never be a loser. You'll never be a loser. You'll never be ashamed. You will stand in victory as Jesus did when you put your trust in the Lord. And I want to conclude this morning, even if you're hoping that was it, (laughs) looking at verse 9, because there is a word of warning there to those who would accuse the Lord. Verse 9 says, Who is he that will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. You see, someone will try to accuse the Lord. And you say, well, who? Who would accuse Jesus? Well, you may be surprised. Because you see, to say that Jesus is other than who he says he is, is to accuse him. To say that Jesus was just an example for us to follow. That he was just a good man. That he was a great teacher, but that he was just a man. To say that he was not the only way to God, as he says he is, that's to accuse him. To call him mistaken. To call him misguided, though he was well-intentioned and sincere. That's to bring charges against him. It's charging him with not being who he says he is, which makes him a liar, even if his intentions were good. 
It's charging him with being wrong, charging him with being ineffective in what he came to do, that his sacrifice was nothing special. It's saying that he could not and that he did not accomplish anything more on the cross than the deaths of the two criminals that hung on either side of him. And so you see, it isn't a harmless matter of personal opinion about who Jesus is. It's not. You are bringing accusations against the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But then those of us who have trusted him, or resting in him, or say we're resting him, in him alone for our salvation, how do we bring charges against him? Isn't there a tacit accusation when we don't live out what we say that we believe? To say that we believe that Jesus has really done it all, but then we work and we strive and we struggle as if he hasn't. As if his sacrifice wasn't good enough, we've got to add to it hoping to complete what Jesus left lacking. This is why legalism is so offensive to God and his grace. Isn't there a tacit accusation when we don't obey him as the servant obeyed his father because it's difficult? Because what the Lord asks us to do is too hard? Because we don't trust that he will work it out? Lord, you can't? That's an accusation, isn't it? Because the Lord can Isn't there a tacit accusation when we say or feel, Lord, you don't care about me. You don't care about this situation. When he couldn't have proven more dramatically or painfully that he does care. This, in a sense, is to bring charges against the Lord. But the end of those who bring such charges, it's not going to be some thunderbolt from heaven to strike them down. The earth is not going to open up and swallow them. No. Verse 9 tells us, they will simply wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. John Oswald in his commentary puts it this way. Their end would not be some cataclysmic destruction, but simply a slow and inevitable wasting away with the cloth of their lives getting thinner and thinner, punctuated by holes where there's nothing at all. I am told that a famous, best-selling atheist spoke at Physicians Auditorium last night. If it's true, I didn't go. But if his speaking is anything like the books that he writes, I have no doubt that he brought charges against God. He brought charges against his servant. And I have no doubt that those arguments were very well thought out. But his attempts and arguments to destroy faith or the thinking of people of faith, they will wear out. Of this, I'm confident. The obvious anger that that comes from, uh, from him and his writings and people like him toward a God who they say doesn't exist anyway, you know, all that's going to happen, it's going to eat away at them. So there are holes in their own lives. Their books will drop off the bestseller list. I guarantee it. Different arguments will take their place. But what the servant accomplished will not be defeated. I am standing where someone has stood for almost 180 years and told the same story over and over again. 
And you believed it was valuable to keep telling this story from this place. And so you agreed, yes, let's stay here. And the Lord made provision of us to do so. But you know what? If it hadn't happened that way, it doesn't matter. The story would still go on. And you know what? Even if you and I stopped telling the story, even if everybody stopped telling the story, you know what Jesus said? The rocks and the stones would cry out. It's not going to be defeated. No one can bring any charge against the servant. Arguments against him will wear thin and become full of holes, and so will the life lived apart from him. Even your life and my life, in those ways that we accuse him, you know, we will be the losers. Our life will have a thinness. There'll be places of emptiness and voids that only the Lord can fill. But no one's life has to be that way. There is a word to the weary. The word is that Jesus... The servant was innocent, but suffered anyway, willingly. And that makes his sacrifice different from anyone else's, because no matter what we think about ourselves, if we suffer, if we're punished, it's not without cause, because we are all guilty. And so the word that sustains us is that the servant is innocent, yet he suffered. The sovereign God himself vindicates his servant and helps him. This is a word of triumph. The servant wins. God makes sure of that. And so we stop fighting and we rest in his victory, in his triumph. God asked in verse 2, Was my arm too short to ransom you? Do I lack the strength to rescue you? He answers that question through the servant. that He is called to teach us. No, you can, you do rescue. You throw out the lifeline. We hold on and we rest while you pull us in to safety, to home. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again for the truth of your word. Isaiah is so overwhelming, Lord, the depth and the richness of what your spirit inspired him to write. Of things that had happened, that are, that were happening, that, that, that were to come, and how you so clearly, Lord Jesus, fulfill all of those things. So difficult for us to understand the cross, so difficult for us to understand, but Lord, it's a reality. And the cross, you, as the Word, on the cross, became the Word to sustain us. And so pray, Lord, that those who are weary, must be everyone here in some way. We're weary. Something is wearing us out in our lives. And I pray that we would take that weariness to you and that we would apply the truth of the gospel, the truth of your word to that weariness and that we would be sustained as we look at you, as we look at the cross, as we look at your victory there, as we look at your character that sent you to the cross and the love that that demonstrates that you have for all of us. Lord, let that sustain us and let us rest in what you have done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.